The scripture is found um, in Acts 3.19. Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Well, good morning to you. Boy, it's, it's good to be back. I've, I think I've been gone about five, six weeks, and uh, I see some new faces here. It's good to see you. Welcome to Brooklyn. Uh, I know some of our members are gone. They're at the camp meeting at West Salem Mission, and I know they're going to be blessed today. Um, so anyway, we want to keep them in our prayers. Uh, I think Pastor Sh- Shaw. Bradshaw. Bradshaw will be there. And who else is there? Okay. Okay. I'm sure they're having some wonderful meetings there. Uh, Before I begin this sermon, um, because I just got back, I didn't know about Lillian passing away. How many knew Lillian? Okay, a few of you. She was a, a member here. And I, you know, I haven't been here too long, but I had the chance to visit her a few times. And I just want to let you know that it was a privilege to meet Lillian. Um, she, you could tell, was very professional, uh, very strong in her faith, um, and it was a, a blessing to to get to know her. I don't. She was in her nineties somewhere. Ninety. Ninety five. She was doing really well, and um, so anyway. I'll, look forward to talk to you afterwards, but, but we want to pray for the family, support the family during this time. She always spoke so highly. She was a nurse, and I bet she was a really good one, a surgical nurse, and uh, her husband was a doctor, and she always spoke so highly of her children, and so um, let us keep them in prayer and uh, during this difficult time. Um, the other thing I wanted to share was that we're resuming prayer meeting. We, I guess you've been having prayer meeting, been watching a series called Keepers of the Flame. But we had finished the Gospel of John. Where's Gregory? He's what? Oh, he's not feeling well. I'm sorry. Okay. So anyway, uh, we want to start a new series um, about, right now it's just called a training manual. But it's about how the church, we need to be set up for missions. You know, God has blessed us. We've grown over the last couple years, but time is short and we have a work to do. And one of the things we talked about, and this training meal is going to go through a a lot of different subjects. But one of the things we talked about towards the end, and it's one of the things that God wants us to do as a church, and that is um, the church is supposed to be a place where even the sick can go. Take care of the sick. And uh, one of the great last works is not just literature going out and not just giving Bible studies, but the health work. And if Christ is coming as soon as we know, there's going to be plenty of people to take care of uh, and using simple remedies. And this is just one idea, but how many have heard of Wildwood uh, Institute? It's in Georgia. They do have an online program. Uh, that's six months. I need to get some more information. But this is things that it would include. Uh, learn 12 basic hydrotherapy treatments. I talked to Dr. Hansen. Dr. Hansen started Poland Springs Health Institute years ago. And just to give you a little bit about what he did, he's an MD that used natural remedies. And my mother-in-law had a, she was a diabetic. She went in an insulin reaction and she went into a coma. And when she woke up, uh, maybe several weeks later, for most of the next 10 years, she never knew who we were. Uh, she had quite a bit of brain damage. But then she had uh, her foot. She, her toe was darkening. They did an amputation below her knee. And then she caught a staph infection while she's in the hospital, and they wanted to do an amputation above the knee. And we said, well, that, that changes things. It's hard to get a prosthetic and things work as well that way. So we took her to Dr. Hansen in Poland Springs, Maine, and he smeared honey on her stump because bacteria can't live in honey. And he did ultraviolet ray treatments, and a staph infection went away. Simple remedies, they work. 
And I just talked to Dr. Hansen this past week because I was asking him about the virus and the vaccine and things like that because I really respect his opinion. And um, so one of the things he told me, he says back in uh, around 1917 when he had the Spanish flu and the Adventist church had a lot of sanitariums. Um, did you know that not one person died in an Adventist sanitarium because of their health approach of the eight laws of health and hydrotherapy? And he just said, he just learned, and this is just really pretty new, that hydrotherapy can even help some of our cells that are kind of dying to get back in the ball game and fight against viruses and bacteria and parasites. And it's kind of exciting that hydrotherapy doesn't just kind of help boost the immune system, it helps these cells come back alive and fight for us. It doesn't cost any money to do this. And the reality is, God needs a people who understand these simple remedies because there will be millions of people we can help. So what I'm interested in is to know how many would be interested in a class like this. And the class could be people who want to be trainers. You can be part of it and just want to do it, but one of the smart ways for us is to train the trainers, people who are going to learn this and then pass it on to people in the Cleveland area. Does that make sense? But you can, you can take the class. But anyway, learning 12 basic hydrotherapy treatments, learn Swedish massage, first aid, CPR, uh, the principles, uh, learn how to give Bible studies, uh, personal friendship evangelism, how to organize a health expo. There's a lot of things in here. It's a six-month course. But I want you to pray about it because I think there ought to be at least a one night a week that we're dedicated to training. Do you agree? You know, right now we're in a time of peace, but we're only going to have peace for so long. And while there's peace, we need to do as much training as we can so that we can help save people. The more skills you have, the more different kind of people you can help and reach, right? So you want to increase your abilities to make yourself more available in the service to God. And, you know, God wants this kind of people in the end of time who go about doing the very same thing Jesus did. What did he spend most of his time doing? Healing people, all right? And then he went and preached the gospel. We just really need a, a, an army well-trained. So I want you to keep that in mind. I'll be in contact with Wildwood to see if there could be like a group raid or something. Can we get... X amount of people in one spot and watch it. But anyway, we need that kind of information. If you're interested, um, we need to talk about what's a, a good time for everybody. But, you know, I believe we're in the end of time. We still have peace. So that means we still got to do training. And so there will be some other material we'll do Wednesday night. So Wednesday night will be geared towards training. But this would be probably another night. Okay? Does that seem fair? But it's up to you what you want to do. But uh, let's talk about it and keep it in prayer, okay? And here's the one thing that's really exciting about it. I know that if we have enough trained people and we go out and help X amount of people, then we'll be able to start a sanitarium somewhere. And God knows where that is. We don't have any idea where that would be. But God already knows. But until we get trained, until we help X amount of people and use our training... God can't open a door for us to have a sanitarium, right? Because no one's going to give us money to build it unless we're doing the work without one. And I, I know that because we uh, had started a, a printing business or a ministry years ago. And Sister White said, if you start a sanitarium or a publishing work, people outside the church will give you the money to start it. And so we, we claimed that promise, and we were starting this day academy and we wanted to teach the young people a trade. We thought, let's teach them the printing trade. Let's teach them how to run a printing press, how to do copy editing, how to write, okay? And so our English class became very practical. And um, so we had a little document called Pictures of Jesus, and kids would learn their writing skills and their copy editing skills, learning how to talk about the life of Christ. But then we wanted to take that and print it and then take the kids out and hand it out. Well, we didn't have any printing equipment, and so we just prayed, and so I called this one print shop. 
And it says, we're starting a Christian school. We want to teach the kids a trade. We want to teach them the print trade. Would you have any equipment for us? Guy says, yeah, come on over. So I had a flatbed pickup. I had two printing presses, a plate maker, called another guy. We had a full-fledged print shop and didn't spend a dime. Because God's promises, friends, are real. If we do the necessary preparation and we claim his promises, God will open up all the doors if it's not to draw attention to us, but to him, to help people. And God will always open those kinds of doors. Is that right? Amen. Amen. Okay, well, let's have a word of prayer, and we'll get into our, our topic here this morning. Our Father in heaven, I just want to thank you for this beautiful congregation. I want you to be a father with Lillian's family in a special way. Uh, we know that you're the great physician and the great comforter. We know that you careth for each one of us, and we're just thankful that Sister Lillian was someone who embraced this truth and loved to share it. You gave her a good long life, Father. We thank you for looking after all your children. And so, Father, we know there's many concerns and cares of this life right now for those represented here. And, Father, we know that you are our Father in heaven, and you look after us as your children. And we want to thank you for that. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, nobody likes to talk about the judgment, which is why you never hardly ever hear a series about the judgment, because Noah probably thought, well, no one's going to hear that there's a flood coming, but you still have to tell them a flood's coming. Is this right? right. Nobody wants to hear that they're going to be judged, but there is a judgment. And the question's going to be, are God's people judged? And we heard the, the text from Christian about the blotting out of sins. Does that sound nice? That your sins are blotted out to never be remembered again. They can never come back on you ever again. The sin problem is over. Does that sound good? Absolutely. So, let's go ahead and look at these questions and let's look at some scriptures and some texts. It says in Acts 17.31, He hath appointed a day in which he will judge what? Now, some Christians might say, well, that's the world, that's not the church. But look at the next verse. For we must all, he's writing to, the sec, this is 2 Corinthians, so he's writing to who? The church in Corinth. And when he says, for we, who's he including? Himself, the Apostle Paul. So he says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. That everyone, everybody in the church, everybody in the world may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And that's just fair, isn't it? Because God has to make a decision. Think of what sin has done to our world. It's terrible, the results of sin. And God has to make sure that it doesn't happen again. That the rebellion is out of the heart. And that those who are going to be saved are people who don't want to rebel against him anymore. They just want to do God's will, right? And so there's got to be a judgment. In 1 Peter 4, 17, for the time is come that judgment must begin where? At the house of God. And if it begin with us, the church, what shall be the end of them that obey not the gospel of God? And the reason is, is because Jesus says, you know, when you cast out the net and you bring people in the church, you're going to get both good and bad. In the church, and they'll all grow together until harvest, and harvest is the end of the world, the close of probation, you're going to have both tares and wheat growing together. And it's not up to us to decide who's who, because you can't read a human heart. They're just going to grow together till the harvest, and but there has to be a judgment to decide who's a wheat and who's a tear. And you know something? Only God can make that judgment. He's the only one that can read a heart perfectly. And his judgment will always be just. Okay? Jesus said, Revelation 2.10, Be thou faithful unto what? If you're faithful unto death, it's not just beginning the race, you have to what? You really have to finish the race. You can't begin with Jesus and then leave Jesus. Jesus says, Be thou faithful unto death, 
and I will give you the crown of life. That's a promise that you can keep. That if you've begun with Jesus and you continue to walk with Jesus, his promises are sure. You will have the crown of life. Is this good? Absolutely. Now, there are books. I want us to look at some of the books. Book of Revelation says, the books of record, or let's see, I know this is from Great Controversy, the books of record in heaven in which the names and deeds of men are registered are to determine the decisions of the judgment. Says the prophet Daniel, the judgment was set and the books, plural, were opened. The revelator, describing this same scene, adds, another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. So let me ask you a question. Are you saved by your works? No, but what your works show is whether you live by faith or you didn't live by faith. Your works, your words all describe your character. And your character will be such of whether it will demonstrate that you had faith in Christ or more faith in man, okay? The book of life contains the names of all who have entered the service of God. That's the book of life. Jesus bade his disciples rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Luke 10, 20. Paul speaks of his faithful fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Philippians 4, 3. Daniel, looking down to a time of trouble such as never was, declares that God's people shall be delivered, every one that shall be found written in the book. Daniel 12, 1. And the revelator says that those only shall enter the city of God whose names are written in the book of life, or the Lamb's book of life. So the book of life has the names of everybody who has confessed Christ. If a person just outrightly rejects God and doesn't want to have anything to do with Jesus, his name's not in the book. That person's already made a decision because Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and he's the life. The only way to have eternal life is to have Christ who is the life. There is no life outside of Christ. All life that's holy, good, comes from, from God. We don't originate it. You know, we can only receive it. Okay? Now, this is a book of remembrance. It's a beautiful book. In Malachi 3.16, we find the book of remembrance where the good deeds of them that fear the Lord are recorded. Nehemiah writes, Remember me, O my God, and wipe not out my good deeds that I've done for the house of my God. So in Nehemiah 13, 14, it is suggesting that all the good deeds that you've done are written in this book. Every kind act, every decision you made for Christ. But they could be blotted out. Only if we don't remain with Christ, right? But if you continue to walk with Christ until death... All those good deeds are remembered for how long? Forever. And it says here, in this book are recorded the good deeds. Every time temptation was resisted. Every faithful word ever uttered in tenderness. Every time you do something right, kind, and refuse to do what's wrong, it's written in this book. That you today made a decision and did the right things. It's all written down. It's a beautiful book, right? This is also a record, there is also a record of sins of men. For God shall bring every work into judgment, and every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. And everything is recorded, and everything will be judged by God's law. So there's our life record, and there's these Ten Commandments, which are an expression of whose character? God's character. And so they look at the law, and they look at your life. Do they... Are they saying the same thing? And this is why keeping the law isn't about being, um, what's the word, a legalist trying to save yourself. No, having the law written in your hearts and your minds is a way of standing in the most positive position in the judgment to know that I've given myself to abide to God's rules which are eternal, and his kingdom is eternal. And if I want to live forever, then and in his kingdom, which is the only eternal kingdom, 
then I've really got to abide by his law, which needs to be written in my heart so all my deeds, all my thoughts, all my motives really square with his perfect law. Okay? It's never been about earning anything. You can't earn salvation because it's a, it's a gift. <laughs> you know, How do you earn something that's free and that's a gift? You can't. Now, I want us to think about this book where everything's recorded. This beautiful statement in Desire of Ages, in the book of God's providence, the volume of life, we are all each given a page. You have a page. That page contains every particular of our history. Even the hairs of our head are numbered. God's children are never absent from his mind. So this page that is your life story is not written to be against you. This page with everything about you tells you that God is thinking about you how often? All the time. Isn't that beautiful? Your whole life recorded, not so it'll work against you, but that it would work in favor of you, right? And God has his son Jesus interceding for us, the Holy Spirit, all the lovely angels, to help us to bring our life in line with his perfect will so that our life story matches more and more day after day the life of Jesus. And then you get all these beautiful things said in the book of remembrance to please God. You know, it's really God's perfect way of doing this. And it's the only right way, the only safe way. He doesn't want sin to rise a second time. He's got to be able to look in that heart and say the rebellion's gone. But this book just tells us he knows us so well, and he loves us, okay? Now, names or sins can be blotted out. Watch this. Revelation 3, 5. He that overcometh, overcomes what? Sin, okay? The same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, before his angels. The key to whether names are retained or blotted out is whether we are overcomers or not. Peter wrote, Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Being clothed in white raiment is a symbol of exchanging our iniquity for his righteousness. As it says in Zechariah, Take away the filthy garments, which would be our old life of sin. And unto him he said, Behold, I have caused thine iniquity to pass from thee, and I will clothe thee with a change of raiment. We are all born with a fallen nature, which is inclined to do evil. But God has good news. You don't have to be clothed with sin. Jesus dies that you can confess them, and he'll take them, and he'll forgive you and look at you as if you never... As if you never sinned, you've got a clean slate, but you still got your life in front of you. What are you going to do? Put back on those old garments or put on the new garment? Okay? You can go back to the old life or say, he who forgave me is also capable of converting me and renewing me, giving me a new life new motives, new aspirations, okay? And that's what the good news is about, that I'm not just forgiven, but I'm, I'm changed. And day by day, we can be changed more into the image of, of Jesus Christ. That's the only safe place to be. And the thief on the cross was forgiven that day. He gave his heart to God. God forgave him. He only lived so many hours after that, but all that mattered was that his life was going in the right direction. And he was faithful unto Christ, even as he hung on a cross, faithful to Christ unto death. And he never gave up. Imagine all the disciples of Jesus have left because he's hanging on a cross. And here's a guy himself hanging on a cross, and he has faith in the one hanging on a cross next to him. That's great faith. To believe in someone to be the Messiah hanging on a cross next to you? 
And others left him because he was hanging on a cross. This man is good to be saved. His heart was changed. And he remained faithful unto death, even if it was only so many hours. But if you've been given another 20, 40, 60 years as a believer, you've had this blessed opportunity to continue to grow in Christ far more than the thief on the cross had a chance. And so you have an opportunity to live in this world to be salt and to be, you know, of the earth, to make a difference by having Christ in your heart. I want us to open our Bibles to Matthew 22, um, because here's a parable that's really very important for us, because it's going to tell us that there is a judgment. It does include God's people, and it tells us what this garment is that we need to put on. So in in Matthew 22, beginning with verse 1, And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king who made a marriage for his son. Well, who's the king so far? Who's the king in this? It would be the father. And who's his son? So the father's having a marriage feast that he wants to invite people to because it's the marriage feast of his son. Because Jesus is, is going to receive a kingdom. He's going to receive the new city, Great Jerusalem, right? The holy city. And he's going to receive a people, the redeemed of the earth. And the father's so excited, he's going to have this marriage feast for his son. When all these things are brought together, married together. Bringing people to rejoice with him, right? Verse 3. And sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, for they would not come. So, bidden, past tense. When Christ speaks this parable, people have already been bidden to come. This is in reference to the Jews in the Old Testament. Through the prophets, through Moses, they were bidden to be part of Christ's messianic kingdom. Come, make yourself ready. Come to this marriage feast, prepare yourself. Right? Verse 4. And he says, again, he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, behold, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fatlings are killed, and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. So, even after they rejected the prophets, through John the Baptist, the disciples, and Jesus himself, he's inviting them to what? This marriage feast, to be part of the Messianic kingdom. Okay? Wow. What, what mercy, what long-suffering, right? Verse 5, but they made light of it and went their ways out to his farm, another to his merchandise. So people didn't take this marriage feast very serious. They didn't take the Messianic kingdom serious enough. They were just too busy with their lives. Verse 6, and the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. So he had sent out, even after his death and resurrection, Jesus sends out his disciples in the early church. And what did they do to him? They persecuted them. Here they are invited to the marriage of the father's marriage feast for his own son, Jesus Christ, who's going to receive a kingdom, a city, and a people. Wow. Verse 7. But when the king heard there, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies to destroy those murders and to burn up their city. And so what happened is God didn't send an angel of an army of angels to destroy Jerusalem, but he allowed the Romans to destroy it. So here this Jewish nation had been beckoned to come, receive the Messiah, the Messianic kingdom. He sent out all these servants, and they just rejected it. In fact, killed the servants. And that's why Jerusalem fell. You know? And so we get to verse 8. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready. But they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and and as many as you find, bid to the marriage. So who would be the the highways? It would be the Gentile world, right? First, go to the house of Israel. But they decided not to come. Now take the gospel of the whole world. To the highways and the byways. Doesn't matter the nation, doesn't matter. Invite the whole world to come. So the whole world's invited to the Father's marriage feast for his son, Jesus Christ, to be part of this messianic kingdom of a new Jerusalem 
and a people, a nation that shall live for how long? Forever. You can be part of that. You're invited to it. Verse 10, so those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both bad and good. So in the church, he had people who came in who were converted and some who weren't. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king, better click here, and when the king came to see his guests, this is the father inspecting the guests, he saw there a man which had not a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, friend, how camest thou in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was what? He was absolutely speechless. You know, I, I think it's amazing. So they're invited to the marriage, and in the church you gather the good and the bad, the tares and the wheat, the sheeps and the goats, and there's got to be an inspection. This is the judgment. This is the investigative judgment. It has to take place before Jesus returns and gives his reward based on what everybody's done. And in this parable, he sees a man who doesn't have the wedding garment. And so... Why are you here? And he can't say anything. He's speechless because there's no real excuse not to be prepared. Right? So he says, friend. And so he gives this man an opportunity to make a defense. Verse 13, this said he, then said the king to the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness, which would be, of course, forfeiting eternal life. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. All are called, but to be part of the wedding feast, this messianic kingdom, which is eternal, Christ's eternal kingdom, which is not of this world, which is why we even pray, thy kingdom come, future. Right? Is we have to have on a garment. We have to have a certain garment on. Now, Let's look at this statement here in Christ's Object Lesson 310. By the king's examination of the guests at the feast is represented a work of judgment. The guests at the gospel feast are those who profess to serve God, those whose names are written in the book of life, but not all who profess to be Christians are true disciples. Before the final reward is given, it must be decided who are fitted to share the inheritance of the righteous. This decision must be made prior to the second coming of Christ in the clouds of heaven, for when he comes, his reward is with him to give every man according as his work shall be. Revelation twenty two twelve. Before his coming, then, the character of every man's work will have been determined. And to every one of Christ's followers' rewards will have been apportioned according to their deeds. Notice that it's not according to their profession. It's according to their character. Character is everything. It's not how many Bible studies you get. It's not, it's the change of heart. Is the rebellion out? Is there this willingness that whatever God would ask you to do, you'd do it? Right? No matter the cost to self. And we're going to look at a statement here pretty soon for that. So the wedding garment. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor unto him for the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready and he and to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Because what is this wedding garment? And right here it says it's the righteousness of the saints. But we have to ask this question. What is the righteousness of the saints? Can we have our own righteousness? Where does righteousness come from? It comes from God. So the wedding garment that we must have is to put on Christ. So let me do a, a demonstration here. Do you want to help me, June? Okay. Do you have a pen? Okay. You want to stand up there? You're going to play the part of God. There's no speaking part. Don't worry about it. Okay. I'm the repentant sinner, and I want to have this garment. Because without the garment, I can't get into the marriage feast. I'm called, but I've got to make a choice. And let's say this pen represents impatience in my life. Forgive me of my impatience. Go ahead, take it. Go ahead, take it. Oh, what's wrong with this picture? 
I'm asking to be forgiven of impatience, but I'm not what? Because I enjoy being impatient. Or maybe I want to hang on to some bad feelings towards someone. I just hang. God, forgive me my bad feelings towards person A, but I'm sure going to make that person still pay for it, right? You see, that's got to be gone. Let's do it again. Father, forgive me my impatience. Who has my impatience? Am I forgiven? I'm forgiven, but what do I need? May I have your patience? You see, now I have the wedding garment. I gave to Jesus my old garment of sin. But I got to exchange it for the wedding garment. Does that make sense? I now have to put on Christ. I got to get rid of the old life of hate and all these bad things. Because with that, I can't get into the marriage feast. But I can be there if I'm not only forgiven, but changed. An exchange of garments. Put on Christ. Thank you. So, can I have patience? Where am I going to get it from? Just grip my teeth and try harder to be patient? Let's say there's someone I dislike because they've done something against me. How am I going to love that person? Just try harder? It doesn't work. It doesn't work, does it? I can't change my own heart. But who does love this person? Jesus sent his son into the world to die for how many people's sins? Everybody. Did God like what that person did to me? He hates what that person did, but he loves that person. So, I can pray, Father, forgive me for my ill feelings towards this person, and he will forgive me. Because you see, that's not all the good news. The good news is God is so powerful that he can enable me with his own spirit to love this person. Isn't that what Jesus said in Matthew 5.44? Love your enemies. And you say, well, that's not possible. And that's true. When you admit that it's not possible for you to love your enemies, you've already gained the victory. But the next step is, through him you can love your enemies. Does that make sense? Okay. So, it is the righteous. All righteousness does come from God. And so when the Bible says it's the righteousness of the saints, it's kind of like if I had a car, and it's my car, and I give it to my son, whose car is it now? It's my son's car. So if I receive Christ's righteousness... Who has this patience now? I do. I now have it. It's part of my garment. There's no thread of human devising in it. I can't make myself patient. But if I allow the life of Christ to be woven into my character, I'm being changed day after day. Is this right? This is how you put on the wedding garment. This is how you get ready for the judgment. And if you live your life like this, every day you say, Father, add some more threads to the garment. You'll be ready. There's nothing to fear about the judgment. Right? You just got to take each day seriously. Every day is an opportunity to put on the wedding garment. But I tell you right now, the devil's going to make you so busy that you have no time for Jesus. He's going to get you so concerned about all the perplexities in life that you're going to become so overwhelmed and depressed that's all you're going to do is you're going to be a, a depressed person just waiting to be persecuted or waiting to lose your home. But you're more than that. You're created in God's image. And God's got good news to recreate you in that image so you can live for how long? Forever. That this life isn't the end. It's just a beginning. It's just a beginning.
By the wedding garment in the parable is represented the pure, spotless character which Christ's followers will possess. It will become their life. It is the righteousness of Christ, his own unblemished character, that through faith is imparted to us who receive him as their personal savior. Christ in his humanity wrought out a perfect character. That's one of the reasons he came here, to live a perfect life that we could never do, right? And his character is offered and is imparted to us. By his perfect obedience, he has made it possible for every human being to obey God's commandments. It doesn't matter what you've done, how many times, you can be an overcomer. When we submit ourselves to Christ, his heart is united with our heart. The will is merged in his will. The mind becomes one with his mind. The thoughts are brought into captivity to him. We live his life, not the old life. This is what it means to be clothed with a garment of his righteousness. That's pretty clear, isn't it? Which means that every day we've got to spend time with Christ. You've got to study the garment of character in the life of Christ and say, he lived this for me so that I could be clothed with righteousness. Okay? This is an amazing prophecy. The 70-week prophecy for the Jews to get ready for the coming of the Lord. But notice what it says here. At the beginning of my supplications, Gabriel speaking to Daniel, the commandment came forth, and I've come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. And Gabriel's referring to the 2300-day prophecy when he says vision. He says 70 weeks are determined or cut off. So out of these 2300 years, 490 years are for your people, your Jewish people. Determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city, Jerusalem, to do what? So Daniel's living around 5-something B.C., and the Jewish people had 490 years to get ready for the first coming of the Messiah. For what purpose? Imagine this. To finish the transgression and to make an end of sin and to make reconciliation for iniquity and to bring in everlasting righteousness and to seal up the vision and the prophecy. Do you know that the 69 weeks or the 70 weeks is, is 490 days, but a day represents a year in Bible prophecy, right? So the Jewish people, captive in Babylon, have no temple, right? And yet they've got to get ready for the Messiah to come. So in this 490 years, they're supposed to get back to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple, get the services going again to offer a lamb that's pointed to Christ, the Messiah. But they just couldn't just build a building. They couldn't just do services. There had to be a change in their heart. And so in this 70th week of the last seven years of this 490 years, the first three and a half years of that, they just kept watching the Messiah himself. The miracles of Jesus, his sermons, his life. And by watching his life, that should help us put an end to sinning. If you spend no time with Jesus, I can guarantee you right now, you're going to keep sinning. They had an opportunity to watch him, everything he did, how he prayed, how he was with people, and they watched him. And if you watch everything Jesus does, this is the power that's going to help you to stop sinning, to bring in everlasting righteousness in your life. Is this true? But they crucified him. Wow. Instead of bringing in everlasting righteousness, they crucify the world's redeemer. And in his mercy, he gives them three and a half more years. So they, they beheld him as a savior in flesh and blood for three and a half years. But then the next three and a half years, is Jesus still ministering to them? Yeah, now he's in heaven as a high priest. So in this 70th week prophecy, seven years, Jesus, half the time, is functioning as their lamb, the sacrifice. And then the other three and a half, he's serving as their high priest. 
And if you accept, if they would have accepted Jesus' work and dying for their sins and then administering his blood in the heavenly sanctuary, they could have brought in everlasting righteousness into their life. Through who? Through Christ. Just as a lamb? No, also as a priest. Whoever intercedes for them. Is this true? Wow. I want us to think about this term. What what does it mean to have everlasting righteousness? Does it mean righteousness today and sin tomorrow? See, that that doesn't even make sense. You could never define everlasting righteousness that way. Everlasting righteousness must mean that every day you believe in Jesus and you receive Jesus. Is that right? That is the only way to have everlasting righteousness in your life. Is that possible? Can you believe in Jesus every day and receive him every day? Then you can have everlasting righteousness. Does that make sense? It's all going to depend on how you spend your time, how much you believe, whether you believe so much as to receive and believe that he'll give you the power. Think of this other, to make an end of sin. What does that mean? Righteousness today, sin tomorrow? No, that wouldn't even make sense. To make an end of sin could not mean that. It would be the same thing. Every day you believe in a certain person. And this is why Jesus, in his life, I know it must have sounded awful, uh, awfully narcissistic, but he wasn't being narcissistic. But he says, I'm the way. I'm the living water. I'm the bread of life, right? Through me, you have eternal life. I mean, to hear a person say that, but it's true. Without him, they're going to die in their sins. What are you going to do with sin? If you don't give it to the Savior, what's going to happen with your sins? They stay on us. And this is where we have to do part two because it's getting long. This, I can't do this whole sermon in one session. So I never actually got to the blotting out of sin. I should have called this something different. So next week will be the blotting out of sin. But what we're going to talk about is that sin is real, friends. Everything you do is written down. Your sins. But sins being recorded does not defile the sanctuary. Sins recorded on a ledger don't defile the sanctuary. My confession of sin in me that I keep ascending up to heaven to ask forgiveness, that defiles it. Because sin is real. Isn't that right? You can feel guilt. It wars against you when you want to do right. You see, sin's not just on a ledger. That's not the blotting out of sin. The blotting out of sin, which we'll talk about next week, is God blotting sin out of our life. And when he has a movement, a group of people, who love him so much and believe in him and receive him, they will begin to live everlasting righteousness. And then he'll come. Others are preaching he'll come as soon as we take over the government and make it a Christian nation. That's not what's going to bring the second coming. That will bring persecution. What brings in everlasting righteousness is when we get sin out of here. And we follow wherever the Lamb goes. Whatever he did, whatever he said, however he looked at people, treated people, man, that's the life you want. Because you know, friends, that's what life is. That's eternal. Is the life of Christ. We're going to pick this back up next Sabbath because it's just too important. It's part of the first angel's message we're supposed to give to the whole world. Okay? Before we have our closing prayer, we have a closing hymn. And our closing hymn is number four. Nope. I'll let you do it. Yep. All right. Our closing hymn today is going to be number 418, Day of Judgment, Day of Wonders. And if we could all stand, it's number 418.
Let us pray. Our Father, we know that your kingdom is to come, and your kingdom is real. It's an everlasting kingdom, and the new Jerusalem is a real city, and eternal life is real. And it will be made up of people from all nations who profess your name, who continue to walk and give you glory because you're worthy. Thank you, Father, for this gift of life. And thank you for the promise of eternal life through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to make the most of each day, not to kick ourselves of the past or worry of the future, but to embrace the opportunities that each day gives for us to put on Christ, to have that garment, more threads of the life of Christ, making us more complete in him. Thank you, Father, that the judgment's not to be against us, but in our favor. So, Father, help us each.